leadership has become incredibly complicated. Workplaces are being disrupted in ways we never could have imagined. So what's the biggest challenge to leadership? I'm Michelle Johnston, management professor, executive coach, and leadership expert. And I believe the biggest challenge for today's leader is connection. Why? Because research shows that connection drives results. That's why I've written the book, The Seismic Shift in Leadership, and why we are putting together this podcast series. Through interviews with some of today's top business leaders, we are going to explore how leaders' ability to connect with themselves, their teams, and their organizations defines their ultimate success or failure. Now, on to today's episode. Welcome to the Seismic Shift Podcast. I'm so honored to have Judy Terzadis today with us. Judy is a real rock star. She was just named the Businesswoman of the Year 2022. And last year in 2021, she was named the Publisher of the Year. Judy Terzadis is the president and publisher of the Advocate Times-Picayune newspaper and NOLA.com here in New Orleans, and it covers the entire region. Welcome, Judy Terzadis. Thank you, Michelle. It's so great to be here today. Judy was profiled in my book, The Seismic Shift in Leadership, and she's had an amazing career full of really rich stories about connection. And she clearly has done well. So Judy, I want to begin first with just your journey. Could you share with the listeners how you got to this incredible position? Yeah, I've been so fortunate in my career. Um, Early on, you know, I had an interest in journalism and marketing and advertising and worked for a very small company in Georgia. And then through the years, just moving around, I moved to Nashville and was recruited by Gannett. And so I spent the majority of my career with Gannett and just a, a really wonderful company to work for, um, very pro-women and love to promote from within. And so was very fortunate to go across the country, but ended up in Louisiana as a regional president and oversaw Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama. And got to know through just, you know, out in the community, John Georges, who owns The Advocate and the Times Picayune and NOLA, and Dan Shea, who's my predecessor. And they kept kind of twisting my arm saying, you know, at some point you're going to need to come work for us. You're going to want to come work for us. And then the timing just was right. And so I've been thrilled. It's been four and a half years now. And to work for a growth company um, is really a dream come true. And one of the questions I asked John when we were interviewing, I was like, well, why did you buy and, you know, why did you buy a media company? This is not, you know, really his family owns a lot of different businesses. And he, he said, it really spoke to my heart. He said, I wanted to make sure that local journalism has a long thriving life in Louisiana. And he said, and if you come on board, I want you to grow the company. And so those two things together just made perfect sense. And so I'm, I'm thrilled to be part of a small private company, but a growth company. That's incredible. 
Now, when I first met Judy, she was named as the president. And I remember going up to Baton Rouge. Actually, this is when John first bought the paper. So you were still with Gannett at that time. So it was before we brought you on. And John had hired me to conduct some interviews to try to figure out leadership positions and what was needed. And I would drive up to Baton Rouge, and it was one of the most exciting times in my career. Because at that time, the Times-Picune, our newspaper in New Orleans, had just gone down to three days a week, and New Orleanians were in an uproar. They were so upset because we were one of the first larger cities that had gone digital and had reduced their paper to three days a week, and it did not settle well. So John Georges bought the Advocate newspaper up in Baton Rouge from the Manship family with the purpose of bringing a newspaper seven days a week back to New Orleans. And so John was a big hero, and he brought a lot of the former Times-Picune leaders in to run it. It was just a really exciting time to be a part of that journey. And they were so smart. One of John George's strengths, and he's also profiled in my book, is he knows how to identify good talent. And that's when he brought Judy Terzatis in to take over. And in this high growth stage, what I just can't imagine, Judy, as you just said, so many other media companies were reducing their size. They were so not into the high growth stage. Um, and that was just amazing when they brought you in. Yeah, it's, it is rare. It's an anomaly. And, you know, really the family to make that investment, you know, we bought in 2019. So you referenced he bought The Advocate in 2013. And that same year, he started a seven-day newspaper and website in New Orleans and in Acadiana. That first year, that's crazy. Nobody does that. And then he took that investment even further. And in 2019, we bought the Times-Picayune and NOLA.com from advance. And so really to have a family that invested in local journalism is rare. And, you know, my peers throughout the industry, they look at us and they say, you know, what's the secret sauce? And I said, an owner that really cares. And, you know, it's not that he doesn't want to make a profit because we, it's important to make a profit, but he also wants to think long term and will make investments. And isn't just like, you know, as publicly traded companies have to be, he's not looking at, okay, what's the bottom line for the quarter going to be? He can see, okay, let's make this investment. And if it takes six months or it takes a year, then we, it'll have paid off for us. So he's, he just sees further out and he thinks really big. And that's exciting to work for someone that wants you to dream big. Oh, I love that. And one of the things, as I just said, is that John does a good job of hiring talented people like you. And one of the things that Judy does really well as a leader is she knows how to connect with her team. And as when I interviewed you, you shared with me that you learned a lot working for Gannett. And one of the things that you shared in the book is you learned how to listen first to lead. And I remember a story that you told, if you don't mind sharing with the listeners, it was when you went into the Denver market and you remember saying that you discovered that people loved their dogs. And so you would spend time moving around a lot and you were this brand new leader in a lot of these newspapers and, and you realized you needed to spend time listening in the very beginning in order to figure out like the dog thing in Colorado, you know, what really motivated your employees? What were their passions? What made them tick? Can you share some of those stories of your experiences? 
Absolutely. And I, and I agree. It's hard. Like you, you're a new leader in a market or a job and you want to show, okay, this is, you know, I'm going to show my skill set. I want to show, you know, that I can make a difference. And it's easy to have your, as you say, a little toolbox that you carry around from job to job and you immediately open it and start pulling out the tools. But, you know, early on, I realized that was not going to work. And I went to Fort Collins, Colorado, which is north of Denver, as the publisher. And um, I, actually, the CEO of Gannett said to me, there's no reason that this market shouldn't be at the top of the company. I don't get it. You know, I don't understand why it's underperforming. And I want you to go there and try to figure it out. And so I did a listening tour internally, talking to all the staff about what are the strengths, what are the weaknesses, what are we missing? But then I went out and talked to as many business leaders and community leaders that I possibly could. And I mean, I got an earful of what all the things that we were missing and disconnected and um, just not approachable and just felt like, you know, you know, that, that we weren't really reflective of what the community cared about. And so I brought in some really strong talent alongside me because believe me, that is the key to my success is not me. It's the smart people that I bring with me and brought on two really strong leaders that we put together a plan and it was all about outreach and being accessible and being in the community alongside them to try to solve problems. And, you know, it, it, it's funny when you just do the right things, the financial performance improves because people see you in a different light. They want to help you because people, they, they like underdogs, people that are really trying, they want to come alongside you. And, you know, I'm really proud to say the, the, the year I left, we were number one in the company for financial performance. And it was all because Really, this team did. They were genuine. They were authentic when they were listening. And, you know, and we always kept our thumb on how we doing, how we doing via surveys, focus groups. But that piece of it, I think it's easy to shortcut, right? But it pays off. Yes. And you are absolutely right. It's so easy to fall into the trap as a new leader when you're really driven. You you come in and you say, I'm going to make all of these changes. I know what needs to be successful. I'm not going to spend all my time listening. I know what to do. So two things came to mind when you were sharing that example, because when I was a young professor, one of the articles that I published was a validation of a scale called the Team Listening Environment Scale. And I wanted to prove, because I I knew that if leaders spent time building a positive team listening environment, that the financial performance would improve. And I was this young business professor in the College of Business, the only person in charge of teaching communication, this soft skill in the business school. I was so self-conscious. I'm surrounded by all these finance, economic, and accounting professors. And by gosh, I was going to show them that the soft skills really do matter. And so my colleague and I went around and we collected data in manufacturing facilities. And lo and behold, we were able to publish the article. The article showed that leaders who created positive team listening environments indeed had higher financial performance, exactly what you experienced, Judy. I wish I'd read that um, a little earlier in my career. (laughs) Well, you knew it in your heart and you knew it in your gut. And so you knew that it would pay off. And I remember 
Tell me about the dogs you found out about. I remember you made a change as a result of the listening tour about people who worked for you and their dogs. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, and now these days, you know, we become, you know, a lot more flexible and, and, you know, really inclusive in terms of life and work balance. But I mean, this was back in, in 2008, 2009 and was hearing, you know, from staff, they get, you know, they love their dogs in Colorado. I mean, you take your dog everywhere. I mean, literally everywhere. And there's just very little restrictions. And I heard from staff, they would love to bring their dogs from time to time. So we did Fido Friday and, you know, set up all of the, you know, if anybody was allergic or, you know, or was afraid of, we set up, you know, make sure that, that all the staff was taken care of. But that just little thing of having pets in the office once a week. Yeah just it, the morale just soared and it just, you know, it also opened up the, okay, the, the caring, like, okay, we're, we're really actually caring for what makes you tick. And, and it just, it, it was a springboard to a number of things. It's funny. I, um, I had said to John when I first came, I'm like, you know, I like my dog. I have a lab. I have a silver lab. And he, and I said, I'm going to bring my dog from time to time to the office. He's like, I don't care. Because <laughs> he's like, you know, whatever makes people happy. And so we've tried a number of things here in Louisiana as well. But I think it is. It's that listening. You uncover things that you're like, oh, that's easy. We can do that. Excellent. Thank you. And so could you share what are some of the strategies? And and this is why I just want to thank you again for taking time out of your busy schedule, Judy. My goal is to help leaders from around the world figure out strategies to meaningfully connect with their people. So what are some of the strategies that you're using right now in Louisiana to show people that you care and you're listening to them? Yeah, you know, you and I have talked a little bit about COVID and when we all went remote and trying to stay connected. And although we're the majority of our staff are back in our offices most of the days of the week, there's still some hybrid, you know, work going on. And early on, I mean, we deployed a number of things when we were remote from happy hour, virtual happy hours to hiring a musician from um, New Orleans, actually a Grammy award winning that played just music for us for an hour um, to a lot of trivia contest. I mean, we just tried to do some fun things to keep people engaged. And then as we're coming back to it's, it's putting in, you know, the tailgates and, and the opportunity for, you know, people just to hang out together. But um, more and more, it's the one-on-one. And I do an ask me anything and you know, try to limit it to about eight people. But I'll do as many, you know, back-to-back as people want to sign up for. People just want to be heard. So it's it's that. We've taken our newsletter that's every week. And we've added some more personal touches, like send us pictures of your garden, send us pictures of, of your grandchildren. You know, what are your, some of the hobbies that you have? And so that's been fun because as people, the company's grown, we have about 387 employees now. And so there's very across three markets. So it's easy to kind of know someone's name, but not know much about them. So we're trying to take some of those tactics. We just launched our third annual employee survey and that's one that we I mean it has it has questions about just our how inclusive and what our culture is like. But also the the thing that I learned the most is just open ended that they can just tell us what's on their mind. Good. And from there, we'll put together some work teams, some cross departmental work teams to address you know some of those issues. Um, after George Floyd's um, past sad passing, we really 
double down on diversity inclusion and have a great committee that works on culture, talent development, retention, and that team alone, the work that they're doing is really propelling us. So some of it is just really, it's the, you know, addressing things head on and listening a lot. I love that. Yes. I was out in San Diego recently at a fireside chat with Qualcomm and Don McGuire is the chief marketing officer. And so he, he bought my book for everybody and we're up there on stage, opening it up to questions and answers. And their motto at Qualcomm is connectivity. So at the very end, one of the leaders raised his hand and he said, well, Don, we do an employee engagement survey. So I know if my employees are engaged at the end of the year, that helps me. But we don't have an assessment for connection. How will I know if I'm truly connecting with my people? And at that moment, I realized, Judy, oh, wow, I need to develop an assessment on connection. We need to have a mini survey that people and leaders can use so that they know whether that their people feel seen, heard, valued, and appreciated. And to me, I finally have figured out that when I keep talking about connection and connection, communication and connection are very different. Communication is transactional. It's more about information, right. transacting information, point A to point B. Connection to me is what you keep talking about, is do your people feel seen? Do they feel heard? Do they feel cared about? I love the idea of sending pictures of your dog and your garden. And here's another thing that I keep advocating. I'm telling my leaders who I coach right now to disrupt because if not now, then when? This is the time to rethink everything, like your meeting rhythms, right? People just, they need to be seen and heard right now. I had Juan Martin, the global president of Kind Bars on this podcast a couple weeks ago. And I asked him, so what are you doing to connect post-pandemic? And he said, he lifted up his espresso cup and he said, Michelle, I'm a European at heart. I love espresso. So my people know that every time I have a one-on-one -on, -one on Zoom with them or in person, for the first, say, eight minutes or so, we're just having coffee together and we're connecting personally. We're talking about family. And they know that. And I said, okay, that's great. Um, but now what are you doing back in the office? Have you changed any configurations? And he said, my people keep telling me that they really prioritize flexibility. They want to work at home Mondays and Fridays. And I said, great. But when they're in the office, we're collaborating. So on the Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, when they come into the office, I don't want them in front of their computers, right? I don't even have an office door anymore. We reconfigured the, our entire corporate space. And so my question is, what are some of the changes that you've made coming out of the pandemic to connect more with your people besides the one-on-ones? Well, I love that. First of all, the last three places I've been, I have taken the doors off of my office. So I love hearing that other people do that because it's amazing how people will actually come in and have just a check in with you. Um, so that's cool to hear that, that they do that as well. Um, we took our annual evaluations that were quite antiquated and really not productive and have created what we call good conversation. And so each supervisor sits down with a direct report at the end of every quarter. 
for 15 minutes and basically just talks about what's working for them, what's not working for them, how can the supervisor help them achieve their goals. And it's just a conversation. So a lot of what you just said, sit down. We encourage, if we, if possible, to do those out of the office go grab a cup of coffee, you know, go outside and sit on the picnic bench. Just don't try not make it a conversation. And they have gone over extremely well. And it's been really well received. And for the employees are able to, in that environment, it doesn't feel like, you know, the old, the old evaluations were score-based. It, it just really put a wall up. And I just feel like I can just, the feedback is the wall is down and they feel really transparent and can really talk about what's on their mind. So that's that's been a really solid improvement. This podcast directly parallels my new book titled The Seismic Shift in Leadership, How to Thrive in a New Era of Connection. Through a series of revealing interviews with 18 leaders from around the globe, I will show you how connecting with yourself, your teams, and your organizations can get you to the next level. The Seismic Shift in Leadership is available right now on Amazon or wherever books are sold. For more information about the book, you can visit my website at www.michellekjohnston.com. I really struggle with all of those antiquated performance appraisals because at the end of the day, people, they really only hear and they pay attention and they remember to what you tell them that they're not doing well. Right. People want to know what they're doing well so they can continue doing it. That's right. Other than really focusing on, especially these last uh, two and a half years, really talking about surviving and giving yourself grace and all the things that you're able to accomplish and then having to have a score attached to it, I'm a big, big proponent of what you are doing with HR. This makes me really happy. You must have a pretty progressive HR person then. We do. You know, we it, we, it was about probably six months ago. We just said, let's put a small task force, including the two folks in our HR department, and let's go research other companies. And so they went out and researched a number of companies and really liked the quarterly conversation. And then they created their own you know, questions. And some work groups are a little different because of the type of work they do, like in our production facility, it's manufacturing. So those questions are a little you know, a little different than a sales rep that works for us. But yes, I was really, really pleased with, you know, the outcome so far. And, you know, I think that piece of it, we try to, you know, say we're an open door and that we want to really take advantage of all of our employees' gifts and talents and make sure that they feel like you said, seen, right, heard, but also that they have that they, that sense of ownership and contribution, because I, what keeps me up at night is is retention. I mean, we have the best team we've ever had. And I just, you know, I don't want to lose them because what happens with turnover is you lose so much momentum. So what can we do for them, big and small, right? Because it's a combination, but it's a lot of times it's just like they have an idea. They want you to listen to it and see if it's actionable. And a lot of times it is. So, I mean, that piece of it is important to us. You are so right. And as I'm listening to you, I keep thinking about disruption. If not now, then when? 
and everything should be on the table. Like you said, performance appraisals, you know, bring Fido to work on Fridays. What will, what will it take to retain the employees? Because they now have more power than they've ever had in the history of work. That's right. And I don't know if that's going to go away. And I know that makes a lot of leaders uncomfortable, but how about reframing it and saying, what a great thing this is to be more inclusive and create a workplace where people actually want to go in if they choose to go into the office at all, right? Right. And I want I want them to feel like they're contributing and adding value. And so I love the mixing it up on a quarterly basis, the conversations, real meaningful conversations. And so when I think about what's going to drive financial performance these days, what's in my brain is, how do you create cultures of connection? Because creating a culture of connection where people take ownership, they're excited, they're accountable, they don't look at work as work. That's right. They find meaning in their work. And that's where you're going to be financially successful. And I do feel that in order to do these things, a lot of companies right now, in particular, the high tech companies that I've been working with recently, they want to go so fast. And I'm saying, okay, slow down. This is the time to really rethink meaningful connection and making sure that you're intentional about it. I mean, what do you think? I think it's about creating a culture of connection if you're going to be financially profitable these days. I agree. And it's, you know, that servant's mentality. And so as I try to hire, you know, folks, I talk to them a lot about this staff doesn't work for you. You work for them. And if they're not successful, that's a reflection on you. So it's really important. So when we have a leader that, you know, is not successful, I mean, we try to surround ourselves, but we go back to the principle of what are you doing to make your team successful? And what does that behavior change look like? And, you know, are they being receptive to your help? But, you know, that that piece, I think, is really imperative. And if you can flip that, it 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 changes the dynamic. And I think that that is, that's been part of our success is just this incredible team of leaders who are, are making sure that their staff is successful. And, and it's, as long as we continue to really pay attention to what they need, I think, you know, the dividends will continue to pay off. You are so right. When I was conducting the research for this book and I was trying to figure out what exactly does it mean to connect with your team successfully? What does that look like? And from all the data, all the interviews, we found that there were three qualities, three characteristics. Number one, show your people that you care about them as a whole person. It's not just all about the results. I was just in Nashville at a 100 coaches meeting with my mentor, Marshall Goldsmith, and I was having a, I was mentoring a young new coach, and I think he was in his 20s. And he said, I want to do a better job connecting. And I said, well, how do you begin your team meetings? And he said, well, we're under tight deadlines and I've got a tight agenda. And I said, well, how about just going around and asking how their vacation, their summer vacation was? He said, really? I said, yeah, just show them that you care about them more than just the reason and the results that they're bringing to the table. So that was the first big aha as far as connecting with their team to show that you care about them as a whole person. The second one was listen to lead. And your interview really helped me a lot to understand that this is a part of going slow to go fast, right? That's right. And then the third one, which you just mentioned, was act like a servant leader. Recognize that when you get to the higher levels of leadership, you are there to develop your people. And it's really about them. So I'm kind of going back to your performance appraisal example, Judy. 
It's, it's really sitting down with your people and saying, what's working for you? What barriers can I move out of your way to ensure your success so that you, right, when it comes to performance appraisals, right, it should be about how can I help you? How can I best serve you? What barriers can I get out of your way? Exactly. You hit the nail on the head. Well, we certainly speak the same language, and I'm so grateful for that. And so then the third level of connection is connection with the organization. And you've done incredibly well making sure you can articulate, inspire, persuade, and motivate to get your 387 people moving in the same direction so that you're accomplishing the mission, the vision, the strategic priorities. Is there a a secret sauce for that? Could you give our listeners kind of how you think through that, how you've been successful with the connection with your organization? Yeah, I mean, it it is just over-communicating. So, I mean, our weekly newsletter, as I mentioned earlier, it has our mission statement on it. It has the top priorities. It gives statistics on performance. It recognizes best practices. It calls out birthdays and anniversaries. And, you know, it has, the, like I said, the personal touch with the highlights. Um, and that, but we'd also have town halls. And our town hall is usually every, you know, every other month. And it, we go into these, we're very transparent. Um, this is where, you know, things are very successful in the company. These are some big headwinds that we're facing. Yeah. These are our top priorities. And then we field questions. And, you know, that it takes work to be able to put an hour and a half together, just trying to make sure everybody is plugged in on really what what the company values in terms of spending your time. But it, it has paid off. And I and I from there, it's like we take we do a lot of cross departmental work teams. And so instead of just the same top leadership sitting around a table, if you will, it's like, who are the smart people? Let's give this to them to solve. And and what comes back really is usually more innovative, right? And it's researched. And then they, again, they feel they've contributed, that they have their fingerprint on some of the strategy. The, the town halls in particular, I tr- I mean, I open it and um, it's, I am passing it on. And so my direct reports are VPs. It's like, we really don't want to hear from you. <laughs> I want to hear from your managers and your staff that have made the magic happen. So what the staff sees is different groups of people throughout the organization presenting, okay, this is what our team is working on. And I think that pays off too, because then they're seeing themselves or not just seeing leadership all the time. So the seismic shift applies to so much right now. I'm advocating that typical leaders, you know, they would spend 80% of their time talking and 20% of their time listening. I'm advocating now that let's switch it up and leaders should do 80% of the time listening and 20% at the end talking. That's right. And what's hard for leaders to understand is that their suggestion, typically they see it as a suggestion, but others see it as an order. The second you say, well, what do you think about doing this? They're like, done. Consider it done, right? Because your suggestion, you're the woman in power, your suggestion is seen as an order. In other words, your whisper is a shout. So I like the idea of mixing that up, this whole disruption of a meeting rhythm. I was on a coaching call yesterday with the CEO of a hospital, and he said, Michelle, I'm so tired of these weekly two-hour super formal executive team meetings. I'm now going to say we're going to meet for 15 to 30 minutes at the most over coffee, face-to-face, 
maybe two days a week and just have a conversation together. Right. We're going to talk about what's on top of your mind and what we can do to help each other. And that's it. So that's what I'm seeing. Again, the seismic shift is not going away. It's really moving that shifting from the more formal ways of how things used to be done in a, to a much more informal, much more of a personal connection in the way that you conduct business these days. Right. No, I, I completely agree. And then I think you get a lot more done with that kind of style as well, because what comes out of it is really fruitful conversation instead of checking boxes. And so none of us want to sit in those two hour meetings. <laughs> We've done way too much of that. And just as much as you can hear from the front line, the better. Because those are the people closest to your customers, to your readers. I mean, so that that piece of it is I try. I think I shared this with you. I started this in COVID. I took our payroll sheet and, you know, tried to once a day, send a note to anybody in the organization. Just said, hey, I'm just I'm checking on you. You know, I want to see how you're doing. Wondered if you had any ideas to help the company or if you had any challenges that I could help you with. Very simple. Good. I mean, that just that touch point. I mean, people were telling my VPs, I didn't even think she even knew my name. You know, well, that's that breaks my heart. Of course, I know your name. You know, you're, you're an important part of our company. But it's it's taking that extra step. And through it, you can get just a wealth of information. In fact, I just before we got on a call, one of the community reporters, who I don't get to see very often because she works from home and then goes to a, one of our satellite offices, and she sent me a note. And she's you know, sharing some information about the community that will help us with revenue. And so I was like, Darlene, it's so great to hear from you. But she felt empowered. It was easy to zip a note because that line of communication had been open. So I think if you open that door, people aren't reluctant or they don't feel like, okay, that's weird that I'm sending Judy a note or I'm texting her. They feel like, oh, that's okay. That's a conversation. And so the more you can have those conversations, it's just good all the way around. I love that. Okay, Judy, final two questions. I want to know what you're excited about besides this impending arrival of your grandson or your granddaughter. And I also would love to know a strategy, a tip that you could share with your listeners, the listeners on this podcast today, on how to meaningfully connect right now. Well, you know, I'm, I'm very excited that we were really doubled down and diversifying the company. And about this time last year, we stood up a standalone division on sports betting because sports betting became legal in Louisiana. So dedicated staff, reporters, editors, marketing, analytics, and have a partnership with one of the sports books. Well, we've been very successful, gotten some really nice press. Well, we, you know, people were coming to us and saying like, okay, tell us how it works. And about the third call in, I'm like, why are we giving away our secrets, our hard work? Let's market this as a business. So we have launched a division called Home Field Sports. And so we'll be writing content, developing marketing collateral, doing reporting for other publishers across the U.S. that are in states. There's now 31 states that have legalized sports betting. So it's using our strengths. It's looking at that opportunity and saying, why not? Why not us? And so I'm excited to see the results of that new division and that new business line. And then I guess just the advice kind of goes back to a lot of what we talk about is be vulnerable and put yourself out there, be willing to really listen. And that means the bad stuff <laughs> and not be defensive, but really listen to what people have on their mind. And then from there, be, be authentic and saying that you want to try to help. 
whether work them through what they might be feeling or come up with a solution that overcomes that challenge. I love that, Judy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I loved every minute. You are a rock star, Michelle, and I admire everything you're doing and your book is fabulous. And so I just wish you the best success. I just feel so grateful that you're a part of my life. Thank you, Judy Terzadas, for being the leader you are and sharing your secrets of success with our listeners out there. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on The Seismic Shift. And before you go, can I ask one favor of you? Do you mind sharing today's episode with a leader you know? The power of this conversation is found in your using it and sharing it to create real connection in your life. Lastly, I'd like to thank Loyola University New Orleans and the Terra Firma audio team for helping bring this content to life.